0: Chapter Twenty Six of the Bee Master of Warilo by Ticknor Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Long Night in the Hive. There are few things more mystifying to the student of bee life than the way in which winter is passed in the hive. Probably nineteen out of every twenty people who take a merely theoretical interest in the subject entertain no doubt on the matter bees hibernate they will tell you pass the winter in a state of torpor just as many other insects reptiles and animals have been proved to do and though the truth forces itself upon scientific investigators that there is no such thing as hibernation in the accepted sense of the word among hive bees the perplexing part of the whole question is that as far as modern observers understand it the honey-bee ought to hibernate even if as a matter of fact she does not for consider what a world of trouble would be saved if at the coming of winter the worker-bees merely got together in a compact cluster in their warm nook with the queen in their midst and thenceforward slept the long cold months away until the hot march sun struck into them with the tidings that the willows first caterers for the year's winged myriads were in golden flower once more and there was nothing to do but rouse and take their fill it would revolutionize the whole aspect of bee life and to all appearances vastly for the better there would be no more need to labour through the summer days laying up winter stores life could become for the honey-bee what it is to most other insects merry and leisurely there would be time for dancing in the sunbeams and long siestas under rose-leaves And it would be enough if each little worker took home an occasional full honey sack or two for the babies, instead of wearing out nerve and body in all that desperate toiling to and fro. Yet, for some inscrutable reason, the honey bee elects to keep awake, uselessly awake, it seems, throughout the four months or so during which outdoor work is impossible. And to this apparently undesirable, unprofitable end, she sacrifices all that makes such a life as hers worth the living from a human point of view restlessness and the reason for it. You can, however, seldom look at wild nature's ways from the human standpoint without danger of postulating too much, or worse still leaving some vital though invisible thing out of the argument and this latter on a little farther consideration proves to be what we are now doing prolonged study of hive life in winter will reveal one hitherto unsuspected fact at this time far from settling down into a life of sleepy inactivity THE QUEEN BEE SEEMS TO DEVELOP A RESTLESSNESS AND IMPATIENCE NOT TO BE OBSERVED IN HER AT ANY OTHER SEASON. IT IS CLEAR THAT THE WORKERS WOULD LIE QUITE ENOUGH IF THEY HAD ONLY THEMSELVES TO CONSIDER. THEY COLLECT IN A DENSE MASS BETWEEN THE CENTRAL COMBS OF THE HIVE, THE OUTER MEMBERS OF THE COMPANY JUST KEEPING IN TOUCH WITH THE NEAREST HONEY CELLS these cells are broached by the furthermost bees and the food is distributed from tongue to tongue as the nearest store cells are emptied the whole concourse moves on the compacted crowd of bees thus journeying over the comb at a pace which is steady yet inconceivably slow but this policy seems in no way to commend itself to the queen whenever you look into the hive even on the coldest winter's day she is generally alert and stirring keeping the worker-bees about her in a constant state of wakefulness and care though she has long since ceased to lay she is always prying about the comb looking apparently for empty cells wherein to lay eggs after her summer habit night or day she seems always in this unresting state of mind and the work of getting their queen through the winter season is evidently a continual source of worry to the members of the colony altogether the most logical inference to be drawn from any prolonged and careful investigation of hive life in winter is that the queen bee herself is the main obstacle to any system of hibernation being adopted in the hive this laying by for the cold weather however desirable and practicable it may be for the great army of workers is obviously dead against the natural instincts of the queen and since being awake she must be incessantly watched and fed and cared for it follows that the whole colony must wake with her or at least as many as are necessary to keep her nourished and preserved from harm the queen a slave to tradition those however who are familiar with the resourceful nature of the honey-bee might expect her to effect an ingenious compromise in these as in all other circumstances and the facts seem to point to such a compromise it is not easy to be sure of anything when watching the winter cluster in a hive for the bees lie so close that inspection becomes at times almost futile but one thing at least is certain the brood combs between which the cluster forms are not merely covered by bees into every cell in the comb some bee has crept head first and lies there quite motionless this attitude is also common at other times of the year and there is little doubt that the tired worker bees do rest and probably sleep thus whenever an empty cell is available but now almost the entire range of brood cells is filled with resting bees like sailors asleep in the bunks of a foxhole And it is not unreasonable to suppose that each unit in the cluster alternately watches with the queen, or takes her watch below in the comb cells. That there should be in this matter of wintering so sharp a divergence between the instincts of the queen mother and her children is in no way surprising when we recollect how entirely they differ on almost all other points how this fundamental difference has come about in the course of ages of bee life is too long a story for these pages it has been fully dealt with in an earlier volume by the same writer the law of the honey bee and to this the reader is referred but the fact is pretty generally admitted that while the little worker bee is a creature specially evolved to suit a unique environment the mother-bee remains practically identical with the mother-bees of untold ages back she retains many of the instincts of the race as it existed under tropic conditions when there was no alternation of hot and cold seasons and hence her complete inability to understand and consequent rebellion against the needs of modern times the future evolution of the hive whether the worker bees will ever teach her to conform to the change conditions is an interesting problem we know how they have improved life in the hive how a matriarchal system of government has been established there the duty of motherhood relegated to one in the thirty thousand or so and how the males are suffered to live only so long as their procreative powers are useful to the community it is little likely that the omnipotent worker-bee will stop here failing the eventual production of a queen-bee who can be put to sleep for the winter they may devise means of getting rid of her in the same way as they disburden themselves of the drones in some future age the mother bee may be ruthlessly slaughtered at the end of each season another queen being raised when breeding time again comes round then no doubt honey bees would hibernate as do so many other creatures of the wilds and the necessity for all that frantic labour throughout the summer days be obviated this is by no means so fantastic a notion as it appears. Ingenious as is the worker bee, there is one thing that the mere man scientist of to day could teach her. At present, her system of queen production is to construct a very large cell, four or five times as large as that in which the common worker is raised. Into this cell, at an early stage in its construction, The old queen is induced to deposit an egg, or the workers themselves may furnish it with an egg previously laid elsewhere, or again, as sometimes happens, the large cell may be erected over the site of an ordinary worker cell already containing a fertile ovum. This egg in no way differs from that producing the common undersized sex atrophied worker bee but by dint of superfeeding on a specially rich diet and unlimited space wherein to develop the young grub eventually grows into a queen bee with all the queen's extraordinary attributes a queen may be and often is raised by the workers from a grub instead of an egg the grub is enclosed in or possibly in some cases transferred to the queen cell and providing it is not more than three days old this grub will also become a fully developed queen bee hibernation and no honey but thus far in the history of bee life it has been impossible for a hive to requeen itself unless a newly laid egg or very young larva has been available for the purpose Hibernation without a queen is, therefore, in the present stage of honey-bee wisdom, unattainable, because there would be neither egg nor grub to work from in the spring, when another queen-mother was needed, and the stock must inevitably perish. Here, however, the scientific bee-master could give his colonies an invaluable hint, though greatly to his own disadvantage in the ordinary heat of the brood chamber an egg takes about three days to hatch but it has been ascertained that a sudden fall in temperature will often delay this process the germ of life in all eggs is notoriously hardy and it is conceivable that by a system of cold storage as carefully studied and ingeniously regulated as are most other affairs of the hive the bees might succeed in preserving eggs throughout the winter in a state of suspended but not irresuscitable life and if ever the honey-bee in some future age discovers this possibility she will infallibly become a true hibernating insect and join the ranks of the summer loiterers and merry-makers but the bee-master will get no more honey chapter twenty six